Kayla, uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. If you're joining us in the parking lot, we're glad you're listening out there. I think we had, what, 30, 60 people, in the, 40 last week in the parking lot listening to our cantata. Um, thank you guys for listening out in the parking lot every week, being so faithful. And those of you joining us online, thank you for doing that as well. Uh, if you're like me and you have other things, or not Thanksgiving, Christmas places to go, uh, you can still grab some candy canes that we talked about last week. Those are out there in the lobby. You can grab uh, some of those. Uh, Christmas was a little bit different this year. I know for me, I had a 10-month-old. That was a little different. It was fun. 
Um, but it, for others, it was, it was different because of the loss of life. And we want to remember uh, the Wayne Osborne family. They had their service uh, for their grandson this week here at the church. And um, it was a tough service. And then we also have the, the family of Judy Davis is also uh, this week here at the church. So we want to remember those two families uh, and also the George Bard family uh, as they have experienced their first Christmas without uh, a loved one. And uh, we, I want to read this to you. It's in your bulletin. Uh, it's a quote from Corey Tin Boom. It says, Who can add to Christmas? The perfect motive is that God so loved the world. The perfect gift is that he gave his only son. The only requirement is to believe in him. The reward of faith is that you shall have everlasting life. Corey Tin Boom. And that's what we're talking about today is that Christ came at Christmas to deal with the problem that we had and this problem of sin uh, and so the, the title of this morning's message is The Word Became Flesh. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer, uh, and then we will continue on in our service with worship. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, it's a great opportunity to be in your house this morning uh, here at Christmas time. And uh, Lord, we just thank you so much for this year that you've uh, allowed us to, to be a part of, God. It has been a very strange year this year. Um, but Lord, we look forward with a great anticipation for 2021. And, um, Lord, we just ask that you would just take over this service. Lord, you'd be here with us and among us, Lord, and you would be with us as we sing this morning, uh, as we go to you in worship. And, Lord, we pray for Jamie this morning as well as he brings us the word this morning. Uh, may he remember those things that he studied and that he's learned, and that he may bring them to us this morning uh, out of a, a heart of humbleness, God. And, uh, Lord, you would speak to us this morning, and we would leave this place different than when we came in. And, uh, Lord, again, we just ask you to be with us throughout the rest of this service, and we ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand up, turn to your neighbor, welcome, say Merry Christmas, Happy New Year's, and uh, we'll continue with worship.
standing for prayer. Uh, as Justin mentioned, last week we had two funerals here. George Bard, who's a longtime member of East Hillsville Baptist Church, and then uh, Grayson Osborne. Um, Wayne and I went to school together, grew up together, and Grayson uh, has been coming to East Hillsville for quite some time now, and he also went to church with his grandparents, and that's where the family is this morning. But Wayne wanted me to thank East Hillsville Baptist Church and everyone for praying for him. And there are other things that you've done for this family that just I know about. I want to thank you for that. It's, it was a blessing. Uh, to hear what some in this church have done for the family. And also Judy Davis, who's been a member of this church for a lot longer than I have been. She passed away uh, this past week as well. And the services for Judy will be Tuesday here in the Jennings building. And it'll be at 5 p.m. at memorial service to celebrate her life. So if you will remember Josh and uh, Billy and the rest of their family in prayer, Joel, if you will, during this time, uh, Judy was a wonderful person, loved her church, loved you. Uh, probably has prayed for many of you here uh, at East Hills of Baptist Church over the years. Uh, she loves students in Alexander County, and, and uh, she's going to be greatly missed. But let's go to the Lord in prayer and remember her and her family in prayer at this time. Fathers, we come to you in prayer. Lord, we want to thank you for the uh, opportunity to worship. Lord, we're so blessed that we can still meet in person. And uh, Father, we want to lift up those families who have lost loved ones. Lord, it's always hard, especially during this time. It seems like it's even harder. And uh, Lord, I especially want to lift up the Osbournes. Lord, the Bard family in prayer, thank you for how you helped us during those services this past week. And Lord, I lift up Billy and Joel and Josh. And Lord, only you can heal the hurt that comes with death. Lord, our brother Lee, uh, Lord Walter, we pray for all, all these folks. Father, we just pray that you'd, you'd bless and help them. Lord, bring healing in, in ways that only you can. And uh, Father, we're just so thankful that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. That's in life and death. And Father, we're thankful that the, your word says to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And we just want to tell you that we love you today. Fathers, we remember those. Father, we also remember that our Savior, Jesus Christ, became flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, bore God's wrath and our sin penalty on the cross, and rose again the third day, Lord. And not only do you save us, but Father, you've conquered death. And we thank you and praise you for that. And we give you honor for it. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said together. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Storms made way. 
in every season from where I'm standing. I see the evidence of your goodness all over my life, all over my life. And I see your promises and
Amen. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2. And if you'll stand with me as we read verses 1 through 7. The title of the message is The Word Became Flesh. As the, the, the video showed us, quoting out of John 1, 1, Jesus came. Was, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's what this passage talks about. And what Luke does in his Gospel is we're going to see basically five characters. You see Caesar, Quirinius, Joseph, Mary, and then a baby. And what you do is you go from a throne in Rome to a little manger in Bethlehem. And what Luke does, Stephen Lawson put it this way, it's a literary device. He's trying to show you the contrast of how the world would see Caesar and then a helpless infant baby and then how the church sees the baby compared to Caesar. Notice what the Bible says in verse 1, and it came to pass... In those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was... While they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you, Lord. How many prophecies were fulfilled just in those seven verses? It's just amazing. And Father, Jesus took on flesh, the incarnation. Father, we're just so thankful for his life, his death, and his resurrection. And Father, Jesus didn't come just to be a great moral example, which he was, but he came to die and to resurrect so that we could be saved. And Father, so we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who, who is with us today. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. In these five verses, Stephen Lawson put it this way. You have the powerful at the top in verse 1 and the seemingly weakest at the bottom in verse 7. It starts at the highest point possible and ends to an infant in a feeding trough. On this night, Caesar would be sleeping on a golden bed under sheets of fine linen, surrounded by servants, protected by the praetorian guard, served by the Roman legion. And then you have Jesus, who's wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, possibly surrounded by animals. There's not a greater contrast in the Bible. Yet the history of the world... And the destiny of every person ever born does not depend on Caesar, but on the baby. Laying in a feeding trough in Bethlehem. What an amazing story. So we're going to look at these five characters real quickly. I'll spend about three to four minutes on each one. Notice the first one here in verse 1. The Bible makes this statement. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Notice those, those are two titles that describe this person. The story begins with the single most powerful man in the known world. At the throne of the Roman Empire, he sat at the time at the pinnacle of the political, military, and social structure of the world. His real name is Gavius Octavius. And if you read about him and his family tree, it's just amazing. Some of his family tree fought Spartacus and the great slave revolts. It's just amazing. This, this person was so well thought of, probably because of... Uh, they were scared and probably because he was a really brilliant person, but they gave him the title Caesar Augustus. Two titles joined together that communicate the unrivaled power he possesses. 
Caesar means emperor. It's a title like president or king. Augustus means the revered one, the highly esteemed one. That's where you get the, the word for August from. It means that this person inspires worship or reverence. The Roman Senate in 27 B.C. gave him the title Augustus, the August one. And with this title, he assumed absolute power over the Roman Empire. And really, whatever he wanted to do, he did. He had total control over the wealth and, more importantly, over the army. All of the power of the Roman Empire was centralized in this one man. His throne ruled the world. Many books have been written about this man. He was a great organizer of the military. His bodyguards, which Paul mentions in Philippians 1, the Praetorian Guards, were considered some of the greatest warriors of that era or of any era. They were skilled in hand-to-hand combat, and August won many battles and conquered many lands. He initiated the Pax Romana. So when you read the New Testament, you, they're living under the Pax Romana, which is, means peace. And how did, how did Caesar accomplish this? Nobody had ever accomplished that before at that time. Whenever he would conquer a land, he would annex it, and say, we will give you peace if you surrender to our laws and pay our taxes. And they did that. That's why when you read about Jerusalem and Israel, there's peace at that time. That God sent Jesus at a time when there was peace. Because this man here brought it about in different ways. But they, he basically, basically made everybody su- submit to his authority. He was a great builder, a great leader. He ruled over the Roman Empire for four decades, 41 years. And he also accepted another title called the Pontiff Maximus, which basically means the great pontiff or the great priest. And he was over all the religions of the world. They would call him the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. As a matter of fact, oftentimes whenever you would submit to the Roman authority, you would have to say Caesar is Lord or die. That's why so many Christians after Jesus resurrected were crucified because they would say we only have one Lord, Jesus is Lord. But Caesar Augustus started, and those Caesars after him started saying, you must say that we are Lord. And our verse says this, notice, And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus, and everybody followed that decree. You had to follow that decree. And this was done for one of two reasons, or two reasons really. It was done to draw people to get a a census of all the military-aged men, and also it was done to tax people. So the Jews were taxed, but little did Caesar know that this decree brought about by him also fulfilled the prophecy in Micah 5.2 where God said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Notice this verse on the screen. This will help you in your life. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. You know what that means? God is sovereign. God is sovereign over every kingdom of the world. God is sovereign over presidents in the United States. God is sovereign. Okay? God allows things to happen. God makes things happen because God is sovereign. Never forget who sits on the throne. God is not sitting on the front porch of heaven, biting his fingernails, hoping it all turns out right. God is sovereign. And you just got to submit to that. When you look down through history, you look in the Old Testament, one scholar put it this way, God takes pagan kings, pagan rulers, and uses them as his own servants for his own purpose. Don't you think for one minute that God isn't sovereign in all the palaces of the world? He is, and he was in the palace of Caesar Augustus. Little did Caesar Augustus know that he was being moved by the Spirit of God to do exactly what he did on time, on schedule, to affect exactly the result he wanted. God does not sit back and hope things turn out right. Caesar is a picture of a man. Now listen to this. 
Caesar is a picture of a man who lives for himself without fear of God or care about eternity. He's the example of people all over the world who live for themselves but have no place for God in their life. Notice the second person in verse 2, Quirinius. What a weird name. This census first took place while he was governing Syria. Why is he even mentioned? Luke mentions this to help us to determine the date of the birth of Christ, which we know this census took place between 6 B.C. and 4 B.C. Most people think Jesus was born late 6 B.C. or early 5 B.C. We don't know for sure, but we know it wasn't on zero. All right, It was one or the other because we understand that God gave us this man's name. This historical fact helps us determine when Jesus was born. As governor, he also had, listen to this, he had much power, but he was under the authority of Caesar. Caesar basically gave him Syria, and he had power as long as he had order and could get taxes from people. As long as you do what I say, you can have your power. Any trouble and he was out of leadership may be dead because he would answer directly to Caesar. He's like many today who grow up in an undistinguished family who have power as long as they perform their position. As long as they build another person's kingdom, they can have a great easy life. Now listen to this. As long as you build another person's kingdom... You can have a great and easy life. How many men, look at me, men, how many men give up their faith, their attendance to church, even lose their families over their jobs? Because you're building somebody else's kingdom. Because you've got to make the boss man's money. And as long as you make the boss man money, he's, he's going to give you money, right? How many people are just like this governor here? Notice the verse that goes along with this one, the next verse. Why shall it profit a man? If he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, what will it profit a man? If he gains the whole world. See, this governor was just a yes man. I'll do what you say. Give me a raise. I'll do whatever you say. Yes, you can have my Saturdays. You can have my Sundays. I'll work on my birthday and my anniversary. I'll give up my vacations for you, sir. I'm building your kingdom. I'll do whatever you tell me to as long as you give me money. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul. I don't know how many well-off people I've witnessed to in my life who I've shared this verse with. Why will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? This was the governor. No place for God in my life. Too busy. Probably history says he lost one or two wives along the way. Because that the world is full of men like this. Successful people who have no time for God at their own ruin. And this is what we do in Alexander County. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but we give them nice funerals and their souls end up in hell. Because too many men are building their own kingdom for somebody else and they forget God along the way. Caesar had no time for God, didn't care. This governor, he was building a kingdom for Caesar and didn't have time for God. Now notice the third person in verse 4. We can relate to him, Joseph. Joseph. That's about all it's mentioned about Joseph. Joseph. Don't say much about him. We don't know a whole lot about him. You know what Joseph is a picture of? Just your average unknown person. Look, Joseph went up from Galilee, of city of Nazareth. Nobody knew anybody in Nazareth. Remember we talked about that last week? Nobody. Joseph is just an ordinary, average person. Just an average person. He's come from a town that was looked down on, even by Jews. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And here's obscure Joseph. Notice, Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. Joseph and Mary both were. 
So when the decree came out, Joseph, being a law-abiding citizen, took his pregnant wife. They were teenagers, by the way. You know, scholars say that Mary was between 13 and probably 16. And look at this journey they took. Notice. You'll show the map. You see Nazareth at the top. Bethlehem's about five miles south of Jerusalem. About an 80-mile journey. Think about that. Joseph went. Joseph went. Took his pregnant wife on a dangerous journey because Caesar said it better be done. And, they, and Jews hated paying Roman taxes, by the way. Can I get amen? Don't you hate paying taxes? But you pay taxes, right? Joseph, just an ordinary person, just an ordinary guy, is leading the way down. Listen to what one person said. He said, God used this move of Joseph and Mary from Nazareth down to Bethlehem to change the world. Joseph and Mary were only in Bethlehem for a few days. It took them longer to travel there than they stayed there. One scholar put it this way. This was how God was controlling the world events crucial to the birth of Christ. The timing was perfect. When Mary gets there, she has a baby. Because Micah 5.2 says, The Messiah, God in flesh, will be born in Bethlehem. John MacArthur goes on to say, There are no accidental occurrences in the realm of the Holy Spirit. He had Emperor Augustus, had, had Emperor Augustus made this decision three months earlier, three months later, or one month earlier, or one month later, or maybe even one week earlier or one week later, Jesus wouldn't have been born in Bethlehem, but he was. Every single detail is in the hand of Almighty God, and God still directs history, and he still holds every king, every monarch, every ruler in his hand for his own purposes. God was moving Joseph through a decree. Now think about this. Do you realize that God can work in your life, even on a smaller scale? I tell people sometimes, I don't know how many people I've talked to that have gotten fired over the years. I mean, since I've been pastor here, we went through the 2007-2008 economic collapse. Went through COVID, people get fired. And I, I remember looking men in the eye saying, hey, the next place God has for you will probably be even better, and he'll use you in a greater way. Oftentimes, is that not the case? Oftentimes, is that not the case? How many of you can say this when you're in high school about that guy or girl that broke up with you? You thought you were going to get married, right? Aren't you thankful that you didn't? I mean, aren't you thankful that you didn't? Isn't it amazing how God can work the smallest details of your life out for good? I remember I've been on, I don't know how many visitations I've been on here. Uh, I remember going on a Tuesday night visitation one time. This was in the 90s. It's before you had GPS. I don't even think I had a cell phone. Did it, were cell phones around then? I can't remember. But anyway, we had directions to a home. Of course, I read them wrong, went to the wrong house. I mean, it's 7 o'clock at night, dark, beat on the door. Some guy comes, some guy opens the door. What are you here for? I said, we're from a church. And I was, I was in Hickory. And I, would, I mean, I wasn't even inviting him to the church. I was supposed to tell a guy about Jesus. And this guy invites us in. Now get this, this guy invites us in and starts telling us the story of his life. And then we shared Jesus with him. And the brother's born again, serving at a church in Hickory. Wasn't even supposed to be there. I remember Mark and I going to Baptist Hospital. And we argued over the room number all the way up the elevator. I said, no, it's not 521. It's 541. No, it's 5. And so we go to this door, right? They didn't have names on the doors. We gown up, you know. I look like The Rock. He looked like SpongeBob. And we're just standing there, <laughs> gowned up, open the door. And I don't know these people from Adam. I said, ma'am, I'm so sorry. I said, our associate gave us the wrong room number, which is barely me. And we're just standing there, and she said, are you, you guys from the church? And I said, yeah. 
And this is what she told us. She said, we haven't been able to go to church for like 10 years because of her health condition. She said, we got a good church. Let us don't come visit us. And I said, we're here, here now. Prayed for this lady. She had a very uh, bad health condition. And she said, you guys have made my night. Ain't it amazing how God can just work through moves? Every move's not a bad move. Joseph moved from Nazareth to Bethlehem for just a few days. And I'll tell you this. Listen, God takes ordinary people and does extraordinary things with them. If, listen, if God can turn the heart of a king, he can move the pieces of your life as well. He can do that. I like what one scholar says. He says, Joseph is a picture of an honest, ordinary Christian being used by God in ordinary ways to bring Christ to the world. Now listen to this. God, Joseph is being used by God in ordinary ways. To bring Christ to the world. Do not underestimate your importance to this church and the kingdom of God. God takes ordinary people. Joseph's name would never be in a church bulletin. Joseph probably wouldn't be on any committees. But Joseph is changing the world through his, his, his relationship to Jesus. The fourth person we looked at last week is Mary. Notice what verse 5 and 6 says. It says, To be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who is with child. Now think about this. We, we talked about Mary. You talk about going from Caesar down to Joseph. Then you go to Mary. Women had hardly any rights back then. Now think about this. A woman who, who was pregnant out of wedlock, how many rights did she have? She didn't have none. Not only that, but she had the gossip train rolling. She had all these things. Mary was the lowest of the low. She's really, in the world's eyes, lower than Joseph, and she probably had never traveled out of her home, hometown. But you know what we know about Mary? If you read Luke chapter 1, the song that she sings here, she quotes 15 Old Testament passages. That's amazing. She was a walking Bible. This young girl, probably between 13 and 17, read her song. She quotes verbatim Old Testament scripture in just a short amount of time. I mean, most of us would never know that. So she's pursuing holiness. She's a virgin and she stays one and she stays one in Nazareth. The most debased place in Israel is where she grew up. And here, here, here is Mary, and then she goes on a journey. She's humble before God. She's available and surrendered to God. This is Mary. Redemptive history hinges not on Caesar Augustus, but on these two unknown people. Mary is a picture of someone who every day of her life takes her faith, her Bible, and her Lord seriously and his will. God, give us Marys. Amen? Give us Marys. Here she was, the talk of the town, but she says, I am being used by God. In verse 6, she gives birth away from home. Think about that. She gives birth away from home. There was no support system there, just Joseph. What can men do when a baby's born? Pass out? That's about all you can do. They can't do anything. And there she is, and she wraps this baby in swollen clothes. She didn't make excuses. As far as we know, she didn't complain. But she understood this. There is a price to pay in serving God, and she was all in. What a woman. And then the final person we see is this baby. Notice verse 7. The Bible says this, And she brought first, forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Christmas is that God became man. Everything else is just add-ons. Jesus is the deity of God living in humanity, and we call that incarnation. Think about that word. Incarnate. You and I were born on a certain day. Jesus was incarnated. Carne is a word for flesh. On his birthday, he was incarnated. 
He, he, as the eternal Son of God, took on carne. He took on flesh. Divinity becomes human. He's always been here. He just became flesh. Incarnation means humanity and divinity come together. That's what verse 7 means. Incarnation. Divinity takes on flesh and then walks among us. MacArthur put it this way. Why? Because no sinful person could be a substitute for your salvation. No sinner could die for another sinner because he would have to pay the penalty for his own sin. There had to be a sinless offering. And it had to be a human being because it had to be a man who dies for a man. But he couldn't be a sinful human being or he'd have to die for his own sin. And couldn't provide atonement for anybody else's. So it had to be a sinless man. Well, the only way to have a sinless man was to have a man who was God because God alone is sinless. So if you're going to have a sinless man, you have to have a man who is God. Incarnation. You see the conception that you got to understand. This is incarnation. God takes on flesh. God takes on flesh and is laid in a manger. You go from a throne to a manger. Jesus had to be sinless. That's why Paul says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Why? In order that He might redeem those under the law. Jesus Christ is the one who knew no sin. And the testimony of everyone historically affirms that. In John 8, 46, Jesus tells the religious leaders, Which one of you convicts me of sin? And you know what they said? Nothing. They said nothing. Here, Pilate in Luke 23, Pilate was a cynical, vicious, cruel, ungodly, pagan idolater. And this is what he said of Jesus. I find no guilt in this man, in verse 4. And then in verse 14, he says again, I find no guilt in this man. Then in verse 22, he says this, Why, what evil has this man done? I find in him no guilt. The thief on the cross said this, We indeed suffer justly, he says to the other thief. We're receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. The Roman centurion, when Jesus died said this, certainly this was an innocent man. The writer of Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we were tempted, yet without sin. Peter said this, you were bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without spot or blemish. In chapter 2, Peter says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. Jesus just wasn't another baby. He was just not another baby. When Christ was born, wise men crossed the border just to come see Jesus and worship him. When Christ was born, real angels came down from heaven to announce his birth. When Christ was born, the biggest star in heaven lined up his way. And only that, but the, not only that, but the Bible says the star actually rested over the place where Jesus was born. Jesus' birth wasn't just another birth. When Christ was born, shepherds literally hurried to see him and started saying this, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And the amazing thing is, this wasn't just a new baby in town. This was God in the manger. God in the manger. The birth of Jesus is God's guarantee that he will not let sin and death win in the world or in the hearts of his children. When you look into the manger, understand that all the things necessary for our redemption would not have happened if Jesus had not been born. So the baby being born is about the baby growing up, living a sinless life and dying, and not only dying, but he rose from the dead three days later. Three days later. What are you going to do when you have to stand before God and give an account of your sin? What is your answer going to be to him? My answer is my only hope is Jesus. That's it. Nothing. 
I have no, I have no righteousness in a, among myself. My only hope is Jesus. Have you placed your faith and trust in the resurrected Lord? Has there ever been a time when you repented of your sin because you are a sinner and you're guilty before God? Do you realize that your sin is a capital offense to the God of the universe? You're one sin, and you cannot forgive yourself. You're not holy enough. You're not righteous enough. So in verse 7, God sent his son, born of a woman, laying in a manger, to live and to die and to rise again so that you can be born again. That's why it's so simple. The Bible says this, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Sounds simple, doesn't it? Why are so many people so proud that they will not bow the knee to Jesus? See, like I said before, in, in Caesar's day, you said Caesar is Lord or they would kill you. God says this, you say Jesus is Lord or you spend eternity in the lake of fire. Have you ever placed your faith and trust in Christ? I hope you have. I hope you have. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, we want to thank you. Lord, for your word. Father, we want to thank you for these five characters here. Lord, we can relate to some of them. Lord, I'm so thankful that you use just average, ordinary, no-name people to do extraordinary things in your kingdom. Father, this church was built, Lord, on people like us, just average people, growing up in small towns, just being honest before God and trying to serve him as best we can. Father, help us to be like Mary. Lord, she was faithful when nobody was watching. Lord, she kept her holiness. Lord, she knew the word. And Father, she said yes to your will, as hard as it was. Father, I pray that we would have a church full of people today that would say yes, yes to your will, whatever it is. Father, there's always a price to pay in following you. But Father, there's also eternal benefits. And Lord, I pray that your kingdom would be expanded and your name would be glorified because you have a church full of people and people online who are saying yes to your will. And Father, we're thankful at the end, Lord, that you're sovereign, that you're in control, that Lord, when our life and our world seems out of control, that Lord, you sit on a throne that's fixed. So Father, we look to you for our help and we place our trust in you for our everyday living. And Father, we thank you most of all for Jesus and for his great sacrifice. Father, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And Father, we place our faith and trust in a resurrected Christ who was historically born, historically lived, historically died, and historically rose from the dead. And Father, I'm thankful that Jesus, you're still saving souls and changing lives for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, Amen and amen. Well, God bless you. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas and hope to see you back here next Sunday. God bless you.